0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please open your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 11. I strongly encourage you to have a Bible and to open that to Matthew chapter 11. Just before we get into that, I just want you to be aware announcement, really, of worship and, and prayer here. Um, so because we believe so much in the power of prayer, and next weekend's one of those unusual opportunities of many, many, many visitors will be here again during Christmas. This is, again, one of our most opportune times through the year. Uh, we're going to join to pray. So Saturday at 2.30 and Sunday at 7.30 in the morning. So right now, Pastor George and I, we are committed to showing up, so there's at least two of us. And we're excited for that. You know, they say where two or three are, are gathered. And um, so we're committing to do this. Here's, what, here's the challenge I just want to extend to you. Um, I pray you have loved ones that you desire so much to be safe. pray that you have friends and those you care about deeply and you understand that eternity is real. And uh, there's two places you can go, heaven or hell. And so we ask God as he saved us that he would save more. And take opportunities to do that. And so we're inviting everyone who believes in the Lord doing his work of salvation to consider. We're going to show up um, outside the worship center. And we're going to gather there to pray. And we're going to come inside and we're going to pray over seats. We're going to pray. I and mean, just imagine the loved one who's here and you're praying for the seat that may be sitting and saying, Oh God, would you please work and would you save the soul from death? And we're going to do this to join together to pray. So, I mean, some of you, I mean, this is just kind of an extreme thought, but maybe you're going to come Sunday, but you might plan to show up Saturday at 2.30 because you just believe in prayer and you want people not to die. I know life is busy. I know there's schedules. I know there's shopping to do. I know there's food to prepare. I know there's arrangements to make. But I also know that all those things do not add up to eternal life in Jesus Christ. There's only one way that happens. It's through faith in him when the Holy Spirit decides to move. So if we get our minds going in the right direction, we start to understand this is actually pretty important. I, I really am not concerned if there's a couple of us or several hundred of us, but I just want you to know that I know that we know that only the Lord can do this, and at the end of the day, this is what's most important. So Saturday at 2:30, and just I mean, well, what would happen if you gave a half an hour in the Christmas season or an hour to come in to pray and believe firmly in the power of prayer? God use it. God, use it. So Less is More, the life and message of John the Baptist. We're going to officially end our series today on John the Baptist. And as we approach the end of this series, um, I just want us to renew our minds one more time for now, just to understand how biblical Less is More is. Let me just do that from some verses we've heard throughout this series, but I want to see it again. Matthew 10, okay, Jesus says, Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it, okay? So this, this is less is more. This is the theological math of God. You don't get this in the world, man. The world's going in the opposite direction. Find your life. Make it about you. Don't lose it. Are you kidding me? Jesus says, you lose your life, you actually find it. Less is more. Next slide. John 12, love this. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if it dies, it bears much fruit. Ultimately, through the life of Jesus Christ, he died to bear the fruit of salvation for all those who put their trust in him, but for as his disciples as well. Less is more. We die to bear fruit for Jesus Christ. Next verse, Mark 8. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, if anyone wants to find life, if anyone believes in the reality of glory in heaven, if anyone wants true purpose and meaning and joy, if anyone would come after me, notice, let him deny himself, become less, take up his cross, and follow me, less is more. Next slide. Matthew 19. And everyone who has left houses, Brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, lands, for my name's sake, Jesus says, will receive a hundredfold. Oh, yeah, and this, and will inherit inherited eternal life. Less is more. Less is more. I think last verse here Matthew 23. Just look, look at the inherent principle of God's truth right now. This is said so many times throughout Scripture. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself before the Lord Almighty, they will be exalted. What is this? We're talking about this less is more stuff. This is the upside down kingdom. And you will not get this from the world. This is the less is more kingdom. In other words, we got to remember again, now and throughout our lives, I pray, right? God's math is not the math of the earth. God's math doesn't make sense to the foolishness of, Of man. God's math is what he blesses. And in this case, it is absolutely without a doubt less is more. I mean, just consider this principle through nature itself. How God gives us illustrations that to become less is actually to increase and bear more fruit. It's winter season right now. Think of the trees before us. Just a few months ago, the trees in full bloom and glory the display of color and then the fall comes and they start to change colors and it's beautiful but they're changing colors because they're about the trees are about to be found without leaves and become naked in nature they are stripped of their glory the leaves start to become brown and decay and they start to fall to the ground the seeds descend from their lofty position and even worse they find themselves buried in the miserable mud But it's from that place that the seeds of these leaves and trees will then rise and burst forth into new life. To die is to see life truly begin. Oh, how the ways of God are not the ways of man. And loved ones, we must tuck away this principle for us the rest of our lives. We're leaving this series today. We will never, I pray, leave this truth. You you know how many times I think, I think about these things so far, what I've said already? You know how many times I think about this a day? I don't know, dozens, dozens and dozens and dozens. Whatever you want to say, however you want it to define less is more, less is more. The understanding, God blesses the humble, he opposes the proud. Just dozens of times every day I think about this stuff because it never gets old, it's always true. And it's one of the secrets to seeing God work in your life. He is so clear about who he works within. And the more we make it about ourselves, the more we we, we silence and limit his spirit working within our lives. So let's never forget the secret of the life of John the Baptist. Now, this was the theme of John the Baptist's life. And today we continue to learn lessons from his life. You know, John's character, John's humility, John's ministry, powerful. But today what we also learn is John too struggled with frailty and fragility. Today, specifically, we see that the prophet is dealing with his own doubt. Now, think about that. John is powering along. He's declaring Christ, humbling himself. And then finally, or suddenly, we see today, he finds himself in prison. In prison. It's here that John begins to struggle. It's here that John begins to have doubt. It's here that John becomes discouraged. Before I go any further, I want to let the text speak for itself. So look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, notice this, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Whoa. John said that? the prophet, the forerunner, the one who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 4, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And then notice verse 6, And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Here's our first observation from this narrative. It's this. It's number one is this. Even the best of us have days of doubt and discouragement. Encouraging. Even the best of us have days of doubt and discouragement. Encouraging. Look at verse 2. Now when John heard in prison, let's just stop right there. When John heard in prison, now wait a minute. John's in prison. How does John the Baptist get in prison? I mean, how did that happen? He's he's proclaiming, he's baptizing, he's the forerunner, clouds are, crowds are flocking to him. I mean, we're seeing massive conviction of God's spirit in the Jewish people through the ministry of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 3 tells us that John the Baptist, in his boldness, in his Lack of fear of man and filled with the fear of God. He confronts Herod the Tetrarch. He confronts Herod specifically about Herod taking his brother's wife to be his own. John confronts this. Herod's not happy about this. And so Herod locks up John the Baptist in prison. So here you have John the Baptist in prison, ministering in the will of God as the messenger of God, but now he's in prison. So this is fascinating, loved ones. Notice, the voice crying in the wilderness is now the voice that's silenced in prison. So right here, right here for John the Baptist, we have a massive test of his heart. The Lord is leading him to a place that he would not choose. God has presented to John a path that is no longer straight, but now it is crooked. Reminds me of Ecclesiastes 7.13, a verse that has meant so much to me over many years. And I pray it can mean much to you today as well. Consider the work of God. Here's wisdom right here, okay? Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what God has made crooked? It's the work of God, times the will of God, the path of God. Now, now just think about that. Here's what we do often we see God's will as straight in our lives. We believe God's will should be perfectly straight, listen, as we define straight. So God, your will must be this way for me, because in my estimation and my wisdom, this is what straight looks like. And God's like, well, time out. Since when do I have to operate on your definition of straight, Robbie? Since when am I bound to your lack of wisdom, Robbie? Since when is my will according to your will, Robbie? See what happens there? But God, this is surely what straight looks like. And then what God does in his perfect wisdom and his love for us, he presents crooked paths. And in God's mind, the crooked path is perfectly right, but in our minds, it's totally messed up. But God's like, who's smarter, me or you? Consider the work of God. Who can make straight? I mean, just apply this to your life right now. You find yourself in a crooked place. Could it be that's precisely where God has you? But we're like, no man, it's messed up. God's like, not to me. Not to me. It's exactly as I have ordained. You'll find out. You'll see, just not yet. I think um, landing in prison would be an example of crooked. And here's John the Baptist In a crooked place. The forerunner, the foretold forerunner in prison. Now, let's give some sympathy to John, okay? Let's put ourselves in his shoes for a second. Warren Wiersbe is very helpful with this. John was a man of the wilderness. Now he was locked up indoors in prison. His whole purpose was to proclaim Christ. Now he was silenced. He announced judgment. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But judgment was slow in coming. He had a partial uh, report of Jesus. He could not see the whole ministry clearly. He didn't see the whole picture. So notice what's happening here, okay? Uh, John the Baptist, partially seeing what's happening. He expected something to occur that wasn't happening at the pace that he would like. He finds himself in a situation he did not expect to be. It's not comfortable for him. He didn't want to be there. At this moment, loved ones, discouragement and doubt start to set in. Can you relate? Maybe we find ourselves right now in places we did not anticipate. Maybe we find ourselves in purpose we did not necessarily think we would feel. Maybe we find ourselves in situations that are not comfortable and difficult. And at this moment, we are tempted to be discouraged in the things of the Lord, to doubt the ways of God, and even come up against the wall of despair. Why? Because Satan will jump on the horse of discouragement, and if he can, he will ride it right off the cliff with you on it. And here is mighty John the Baptist. He also is in a place of unmet expectations and he's feeling discouragement and doubt and fighting against despair. The questions start filling his mind. Uncertainty starts to poke at his heart. And so he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus. I mean, just think about this. He says, are you the one to come or shall we look for another? whoa. Whoa, think about what that's saying. Are you the one? This is John the Baptist saying this. Amazing to me. So I've been in ministry all these years now. And I've been in ministry long enough to know this, that at times I'm very willing to encourage other people with my discouragement. Say, What do you mean by that? Well, I like to provide encouragement... To people as I let them know that I'm discouraged. I'm not saying that there are people who are like wishing for my demise so that they rejoice as I fail, although ministry does bring some opposition, that's for sure, right? But it's more so like this. It's like you're going through life and I just love to reveal and convey that I got tons of struggles. I find this life very difficult at times, and there's many times where I don't think I'm necessarily going to make it, and you're open with this, and people are just so, oh, good, it's not just me. Well, you struggle too. Well, we all struggle together, and I get that because I know I'm listening to other people, and, and they reveal how they're struggling, and inside, I'm like, yes, all right, good. Someone else is also struggling through this life and ministry as well, and it, just, it really encourages me. I'm not trying to get offensive to the people, but again, and I know how that kind of relates too. So here we are, and just like I wanted to encourage you again with, with with my discouragement. I just, you know, you know, legitimately, legitimately, in my tenure of ministry, I wanted to quit sincerely hundred plus times. Like, like legit wanting to give up. You're looking across the street and you see someone else do another job, and you're like, man, that looks so good. You know? Man, that looks. This looks right. You know? And you're just contemplating. You're sitting there. And you find yourself in such places of darkness and discouragement. And it's so tough when you're there. And so hopefully I've just encouraged many of you in my discouragement. Praise the Lord. Right? I get it. I totally get it. I do. I do. And so I look at John the Baptist here. And here he is. John the Baptist. J the B. Forerunner. Messenger, prophet, discouraged and doubting. Events have unfolded not as he anticipated. His current experience is not matching his preaching. He's discouraged and I'm encouraged by the discouragement of John the Baptist. No offense, John, no offense. I'm just so glad you're human too. I'm so glad that God's word provides us examples of people struggling just like so we're encouraged. Why? Life doesn't always go as planned, does it? God's ways are not our own. Lovings are so much we don't understand. we got to remember that our fulfillment in life is in the life yet to come. So the key here, and this is so important, please listen, please listen. What's so important here, John the Baptist, like you and I, are called to walk by faith, not by sight. Notice what was taking place here with John the Baptist, Okay? He was growing impatient. See, he was announcing the arrival of a kingdom, and in his mind, it looked like one, two, three, four. But in the will of God, this wasn't happening according to John's way. So in this moment, he's in prison, and he grows impatient, and he starts to doubt and ask questions of God. How come this isn't happening the way I think it should? Enter discouragement. Enter doubt. Enter temptation of despair. Again, can you relate? Of course we can. Isn't it amazing? So much in the Christian life. God, your will surely is like this. So let's get this done on my timing. Okay, God? I want this to happen in this way and at this time. Ready? Go, God. Tap foot. Wait. Time's up. Where is it, God? And he's like, uh. I'm not really, again, operating on your schedule. And it doesn't happen, and all of a sudden we're like, where are you, God? Are you there, God? Have you let me down again, God? You're not according to me, God? You're not as smart as me? All this stuff like, and all of a sudden, we get discouraged because God is not on our timing and schedule, and our impatience leads to frustration, leads to questioning, leads to doubt, leads to discouragement. And many times leads to despair. Why? Because we're ultimately trying to be God, play God, and tell God how to be God. It's not going to work, man. That's not faith. And we're so encouraged with the fact that John the Baptist was struggling with this as well the impatience. You know, I was also encouraged. I was Reading in Revelation in my personal time this week, and even in 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 heaven, the martyrs who have been killed for their faith in heaven, they speak out loud and they say this, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you judge and avenge our blood on earth? How long, God? When's justice going to be seen? When's vengeance on our blood going to be taken? Even the martyrs for Christ in heaven are also impatient. Incredible. In one way or another, we're all longing for the justice of the Lord. And yet it will be, loved ones, it will be in God's time and in God's way. So, this is this question that's asked of Jesus Are you the one, or should we look for another? It's a zinger. Look at how Jesus responds, verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Notice what Jesus says here in response to John's question. You go tell John, the plan is going precisely according to what we determined. The plan is exactly going according to plan by the wisdom and infinite, again, wisdom of the Lord. You go tell John that it's happening precisely as the Trinity has determined. There's nothing occurring right now that is outside of our control, plan, wisdom, guidance, ordination. It's the wisdom of God. Notice Notice what Jesus does specifically here. I want you to look at the screen here because Jesus says you go tell John and many, many phrases he uses here in verses four and five, okay? I want you to see just how much this is going according to the plan of God as foretold hundreds of years before. You go tell John the blind receive sight. Isaiah 29. In that day the eyes of the blind shall see. Next slide. You go tell John the lame walk. Isaiah 35, 700 years before this took place. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. Next slide. You go tell John that lepers are cleansed. Just a few chapters before our chapter today, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You go tell John lepers are being cleansed. Next slide. You go tell John the deaf hear. Isaiah 35, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Next one. You go tell John the dead are raised. You're dead, Isaiah 26, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You go tell John all these things are happening. Last one. You go tell John the poor have good news preached to them just as it was predicted again 700 years before Jesus was on earth. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me to bring good news to the poor. You go tell John that this is all taking place exactly, exactly according to plan. Because God is sovereign. Let's apply this to our lives right now. Is it possible that in our lives, in the way that we often question the Lord, that His plan is exactly and precisely taking place as He would want amidst all the confusion and all the things we don't understand? Is it possible for faith to rise to the surface in this moment? You see what Jesus is doing? You tell John, look to the truth, look to the evidence, look to Jesus, look what's happening. Look what's happening. God's plan is unfolding. And you see verse 6. Verse 6 is quite amazing. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed, happy, fulfilled is the one who does not fall away on account of me, who does not trip over me. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. There's a warning here in verse 6. There's a challenge in verse 6. Here's the warning. Jesus says this, essentially. The warning is, those who fail understand the identity and ministry of Jesus, they're in huge trouble. The warning is, if you reject Jesus Christ, you are rejecting the Lord and Savior of the universe. So that's why, blessed is the one who does not reject me. Blessed and happy and fulfilled is the one who finds eternal life in me. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account. Think of our world. Our world is so anti-Christ. Never more so right now in this land. Like literally, since this nation began. Never more so right now, more anti-Christ. The, the complete rejection of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, blessed is the one who does not do that. Those who reject Christ are rejecting the cornerstone, life itself. That's the warning. And a warning here today, for those who are here today. Who's here right now? I don't know God does. But I know there's some people here right now, you've never, you, you've never been truly saved in Jesus Christ. You are not currently in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not alive. You're, there's maybe a form of religion, maybe there's none of that. But you're not alive. The, the warning is, if you reject Jesus Christ, you are, you are rejecting your only chance to go to heaven and escape eternal judgment, not in heaven, which is called hell in Scripture. I just speak the truth of what the Bible says. But that's the warning. That's, that's the love of God giving a warning. you never watch someone floating down a river, plunging to their death and say nothing. You would give every opportunity to save them, to warn them of what's happening. There's a challenge also here in verse six, and the challenge is this. For those with faith, keep following Christ and don't give up in your discouragement, hey, John the Baptist, in your discouragement, and you ask the question, are you the one I'm looking for or someone else to come? You're, you're kind of teetering there on abandonment of Christ. Like, are you, are, you, are, you, are you suggesting, John the Baptist, that you're gonna find someone else other than, see what Jesus says? Blessed is the one who's not offended on account of me. Blessed is the one in their discouragement. The discouragement doesn't lead to abandonment. Think of how we go through life often. We're in these places and we're, here's the problem. We often look what's right in front of us. All we see is what's in front of us. Our head is often so down too. We look up a little bit, our head's so down and we just see our circumstances and we're like, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. There's no point, I don't want to go on. This isn't working, I'm so miserable. If this is life in Christ, well this doesn't make any sense and just like, forget this, I'm done. And you start tempted to walk the other way and start to leave the, the ways and will of Christ behind. That's never, ever going to be good. I understand the temptation towards that. We start to rely on wisdom. But here's the thing. When we're so focused on our own situation and all that's in front of us, if we just continue to walk by faith as opposed to sight, if we just let one foot go in front of the other by the will of God and the grace of God as he leads us on, what we fail to see so often is we just keep walking. At some point, God's going to go, turn! And if this represents a wall, when you're standing on this side of the corner of the wall, you can't see what's coming. You've no idea. When you're walking down a street or a path, you don't know what's around the corner until you turn the corner. And once you turn the corner, you're like, whoa, look at this. That's a whole new world. There's a whole new path. But as long as we're standing here and only focusing on what's in front of us in our situations of misery, well, of course, discouragement sets in. And if we give up, we'll never turn the corner. In the will of God, he says, keep walking, child, keep walking. Trust me, in the midst of the difficulty that I'm using that to grow you, prune you, and refine you for my glory, and you walk, and at the right time, the Holy Spirit says, child, look up and turn, and then you go, whoa, I did not see that coming. Now listen, the ultimate fulfillment of this is earth, then heaven. The ultimate fulfillment... You will turn the corner of life and stare into eternity and look at the face of Jesus Christ and every second of your reality and existence will say, you are worth it all, Jesus Christ. Everything I went through, there is nothing that you are not worthy of. I love him my whole life and worthy is a man, Worthy is a But even now in life, even now, don't give up, don't give up. All through scripture, all through scripture. Persevere, keep your eyes on Jesus. Men and women of faith, We get so focused on now, like today, the hour, the minute. And the Holy Spirit says, walk by faith. You keep walking. He says, turn, you turn. And you're like, I did not see this coming. I did not recognize how you were using that to bring me to here. And I'm so glad I didn't give up. Because I would never get here if I didn't go through there. This only happens by faith. You can't see it, you can't see it, you can't see it. I know, trust me, I know, he does. And he says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Even the best of us have days of doubt and discouragement. So we're encouraged by that. Number two is this. Even in our doubt, this is so great too. Even in our doubt, Jesus gives grace. Amazing. That's amazing. Look at verse 7 now. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Now, listen. John the Baptist. He's doubting. Other people are starting to doubt John the Baptist. Wait, wait. He Wasn't he like the prophet of God? He's in prison now. What's up with that? So was John really who he said he was? Should we look for another prophet now? So you think John's doubting, people are doubting John. Look at Jesus, Jesus now turns, and in John's doubt, affirms John. In John's discouragement, Jesus gives grace. Uh, verse seven now, he says, Jesus asks three rhetorical questions. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. And then he quotes, Jesus quotes Malachi 3, verse 1, which we'll get to in just a second. The three questions here, watch this. In John's doubt, Jesus resolutely affirms John. Such grace. First question Was John a reed shaken by the wind? Meaning, did he sway with each breeze? Did he vacillate with every opinion? Was he pushed around by the fear of man? Answer, not at all. In fact, John's in prison because he was so filled with the fear of the Lord and his confrontation of sin before him with one of the most powerful leaders that existed at that time. Second question, was John soft? Was John a man dressed in soft clothing? Meaning, was he surrounded in luxury and comfort? No, on the contrary, John wore camel's hair and ate bugs. He was austere, rough, and simple. John didn't cater to the rich and famous. Rather, his sermon was repent right in the face of the elite. Was John a prophet? Yes. But he was more than a prophet. John was the one that broke 400 years of silence. John was the forerunner and messenger of God, specifically chosen to prepare the way for Jesus then imagine this, to confirm all this, Jesus now quotes Malachi 3 verse 1. Look at verse 10. He says, "This is whom is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you." So this is here Jesus. I mean, think of all the verses John the Baptist quotes in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ coming. Now Jesus turned the tables. Jesus quotes scripture and says, "This has now been fulfilled by John." It's amazing. One commentator says this, John thus is not only a prophet, but he fulfills prophecy. John himself is the fulfillment of prophecy hundreds of years before he was born. So in other words, Jesus is saying this, John the Baptist is the turning point of salvation history because he was sent to prepare the way for the final step in God's plan of redemption. That's how significant John the Baptist was. Now, no, John's doubting. What does Jesus do? He pours out grace. He stands before the crowds and says, there's no one born of woman that has been like the man John the Baptist. No one greater. We'll get to that in just a second. I want to see here, John's whole life was about the exaltation of Jesus and Jesus honors him so. In the midst of John's doubt, Jesus holds up John's life and for all who will listen, His example as well. This is undeserved grace. Now, let me just pull this over right now to New Covenant, New Testament, Gospel, okay? Think what Jesus does in the midst of John's doubt right here. Aren't you so thankful, those of us who are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ? Think of the sin you committed today already. Lots. Yesterday, this week, this month. Just think of our sin. Think of our doubt. Think of our complaining. Think of our selfishness. Think of our pride. Think of the wickedness throughout our lives. Aren't you so, so grateful that in the midst of all our sin, Jesus just pours out grace? And think about that. I mean, are we deserving of this? I mean, is there any part of us that we can stand before God and be like, yeah, 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 I deserve that? No, not a smidge, nothing. Let me say it again. Think of all our sin. Think of the way that we whine, selfishly approach God. Treat him as a vending machine that's just supposed to give us things that we want. Yet he still forgives and pours out grace. What is that? It's the gospel. Jesus Christ, our mediator. He stands between us and God. He brought us there in the first place. And he intercedes for us now. He's 100% got our back. He will never leave us or forsake us. Uh, 2 Timothy says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's incredible, loved ones. This is the power of the gospel. Apply that to your heart and life right now. Apply it. Even in the midst of our sin and our doubt, Jesus just pours out grace again. Today, he does it again. Amazing, so unworthy, so undeserving. Yeah, he's so willing. So even the best of days, or even the best of us have days of doubt, that's encouraging. Even when we doubt, Jesus gives grace amazing. And then finally, number three is this. Even as great as John was, we are still greater. Shocking. Some of you are like, What'd you say? I'm sorry, what? Pardon? Even as great as John was, we are still greater. Like, I'm confused. Verse 11. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That part, I kind of understand. Yet, This part I don't understand. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's break this verse down into two parts, okay? Number one, John the Baptist, the greatest among those born of women. Why is that true? Why is that true, okay? Well, because he's the most important, because he, listen, he's the culmination of the old covenant. John the Baptist is the launching pad of the new covenant. I we've heard already, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of prophecy itself. He was set apart before he was born to be the prophet, the forerunner, the messenger of Messiah. No one ever has had that responsibility outside of John the Baptist. He is the greatest to have ever lived born of women. And yet, and yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, what does this mean? What What does Jesus mean by that? Okay, well, this. John was great. But listen, listen. John was not alive under the new covenant. John did not live to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ to experience Pentecost and the fullness of baptism of the Holy Spirit as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He did not live to see the completion of the work of Christ on the cross, and again, the empty tomb. He died while still under the old covenant law system. So we did not enjoy the benefits of the new covenant reality. Think of it this way. John announced the arrival of the new kingdom, but he did not live in it himself, this side of heaven. We, alive in Jesus Christ, we are citizens of the kingdom that John could only announce and speak of from a distance. We now are actually the heirs of such a kingdom and citizens of such a kingdom. So some of us are starting to get this. Let's try to go a little further. Here's what Spurgeon says about this, because this is really important. I want us to understand. Good Bible students right now, applying it to our hearts and lives. Spurgeon says this, as we may say as a rule, that the darkest day is lighter than the brightest night. So think about that, okay, so um, it's during the day, the sun is out, the storm comes in, it overshadows the sun, it gets dark out, but still, the darkest day is still lighter than the brightest night. So at nighttime, there's a full moon, it's shining, the stars are there, you can see, but it's still, it's darkness, it's nighttime. So the darkest day is still lighter than the brightest night. Now why is Spurgeon saying that? He relates it now to John the Baptist and then us in the kingdom of heaven, okay? So John, the first of his own order, the greatest under the law, the greatest in the old covenant is behind the last or the least of the new covenant in the gospel order. He summarizes it this way. The least in the gospel stands on higher ground than the greatest under the law or the old covenant system. Make sense? Mmm, that wasn't super convincing. I think some of us are, let me just say it one more time now, right? Again, if we get this, again, hear it this way. The least in the new covenant, because they're experiencing the realities of Holy Spirit-filled, again, heir of Christ, spiritual blessings, new reality, never die. The least then in the kingdom of the new covenant is greater than the greatest under the old covenant, who is restricted by the law and did not at that time actually inherit eternal life. Now, trust me, John's in a great place right now, okay? But when he was living, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is highlighting the incredible reality of spiritual birth compared to physical birth. The one is incredibly more powerful than the other. So, as our third point says, okay? Even as great as John the Baptist was, we are still greater. Okay? Listen. Shocking. Shocking. Now, I want to emphasize the we in that third point. We are still greater. Who's the we? Who's the we? Let's be crystal clear. The we are those in the kingdom of heaven. Who's in the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven are those who are actually truly saved. Those who are born again, alive in Jesus Christ, forgiven from their sins, redeemed, rescued, not religion, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those in the kingdom of heaven are those who are actually, again, alive as co-heirs of Christ. They have the hope of glory, the promise of the resurrection of the dead. They share every spiritual blessing. They have hope eternal, victory over death, full and complete removal of sin to come. That's the we in that third point. That is shocking and glorious that we are greater than John the Baptist because we are saved and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's be crystal clear, okay? The greatest shock is coming. The far greater shock will be for those who are not in the kingdom of heaven, are not saved by Jesus Christ, who die from this life, stand before a holy God in judgment, who do not have Jesus Christ by their side, do not have his righteousness within them, have nothing to say, and God says, you are sinful, why should you get entrance into heaven? And there's nothing we can say. The greatest shock is for the thousands of people who die every day across this world, who die apart from Jesus Christ, face the Lord in judgment, and are sentenced to damnation apart from Jesus Christ. That will be by far the greatest shock in eternity, is for those who end up finding out this is all about one person, Jesus Christ. And because they were offended by him, they will not be blessed. Because they rejected him, they will not know eternal life. Can I ask you today are you alive in the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you not give your life to him today? To you understand, Jesus says so clearly, he is the way, he is the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. It's not about being a good person because you'll never be good enough. Not one sin gets into heaven. Jesus Christ presents himself to you again today and invites you to eternal life in him. You say how? By grace. What's grace? It's a gift. He gives you the gift of forgiveness. Every sin you've ever committed. He just washes it by his blood. By grace, how? Through faith. You got to believe. See, the gift must be received, right? So look here, loved ones. Look, look here. Christmas, Jesus, Jesus is given as the gift. That's the whole thing. He's the gift. But to receive the gift, you can't just stand there and look at it. Be like, it's a nice gift. I like it. Looks pretty good. It's got some neat features and stuff like that. And then just walk away. No, no. You got to receive it. How do you receive the gift? By faith. Faith reaches out and takes it for its own, knowing I did not deserve this. I did nothing to get this. I received it by faith as the grace it is, the gift of God for me that I might be saved and have eternal life. That's Jesus Christ. Faith. Lord Jesus, I turn from sin. I repent of my sin. I believe that you are Lord and Savior. Save my life. Grant me eternal life. I love you. My life is for you now. Not for me. My life is for you now. This is the power of the gospel. And again, for those of us alive in the Lord Jesus Christ here today, too, you think about Christmas time. You think about come that long expected Jesus, beautiful Christmas hymn. Three terms we've heard a lot today discouragement, doubt, despair. Look at what the gospel does in the face of these things that are trying to bring us down and destroy us. This is the gospel. This is all this is the Christmas time understanding of the gospel. Okay, the good news. Watch, born thy people to deliver, Jesus was, born a child and yet a king. In the face of your discouragement, okay, in the face of your discouragement, I mean, literally, we need to shout out, I'm delivered, deliverance, I've been delivered from sin. The gospel comes in, in the midst of our, what's this, discouragement are the clouds, that enter in to block the sun. When you're traveling in a plane, so often you will fly in the midst of the storm, rise above the clouds, and all of a sudden you see the sun. And you're like, oh man, I forgot there's a sun shining. What the gospel does, it lifts us from the storm above the clouds to see the S-O-N of God, the Son of God who is always shining. I am delivered from my sin. Hey, discouragement, shout in the face of discouragement, I'm delivered from sin in Jesus Christ born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. In the face of your doubt, you say, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I will never be cast out. I will never be forgotten. I will never be forsaken. And one day very soon, I will see the reality of the kingdom that I belong to because of what Jesus Christ did for me. In the face of doubt, shout out, I am a child of the kingdom of heaven. Take that, doubt. You see, Satan's grip on you start to be loosened pretty quickly as you repeat over and over again, I belong to Jesus Christ, and I am a part of his kingdom, and I am secure in him 100%. Shout it out in the face of doubt. By thy own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. Notice, by thine all-sufficient merit. What does Satan do? Satan says, you stink, you're no good, you're not worthy. No argument there, Satan. No argument there. I do stink. I'm not worthy. I have nothing to bring to the table. It's entirely by the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He is 100% sufficient and proved that at the cross of Jesus Christ. So you call me all the names you want, Satan. I am a child of God. Jesus has done it all. All of my life and eternity rests on the merit of him alone. Therefore, raise us to thy glorious throne. In the face of the temptation of despair, literally shout out, glory is coming. Glory is coming the glorious throne that I will be raised to by the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Zero me, 100% Jesus Christ, in your face despair. See what the gospel does? The gospel lifts us, lifts us from the, the storm clouds of all these ugly words. Discouragement, despair, lifts us from it and allows us to see, once again, the reality of why we live and the reality of who we live it's the power of what Jesus did for John the Baptist it's the power of what he does for us right now so just being still here right now you know what we're going to do right now is we're going to sing that song come thou long expected Jesus And there's going to there's be some beautiful artwork that's going to be seen as well and it's really telling the story of redemption it's telling the story of the gospel from Genesis to the manger And I'm just praying we'll take this time right now and we'll just sit there and we'll reflect and we'll respond by just asking, Lord Jesus Christ, again, remind me right now of what you did for me and who I am. Remind me of what is true. Take my discouragement, blow it up with the reality of your love and in the gospel. Let's take a moment. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I do pray right now that you will use this time, Lord, I pray, in the midst of our discouragement that is represented in many lives right now, in the midst of our doubt, Lord, in the midst of the different forms of pain and heartache, I pray right now the gospel renews our mind to what is actually true. Oh Lord, help us, I pray. Help us to see, Lord, that you are absolutely sovereign, that your plan is precisely in place for the salvation of this world the exact timing of your return of your son. There's nothing you are not in control of, Lord. Everything is being held in your hands. And I pray you will give the gift of tremendous encouragement even now through renewed minds and perspective that your people collectively are saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I believe you. One day soon, Lord, I will turn that corner. I will turn the corner. And I will see just, just again what you have done and why you have done it. But for now, Lord, in my lack of vision, please, Lord, I know the gospel, and I see that clearly. Yes, Lord, speak to us. Bless us with yourself, we pray.